0: What's going on there, everybody? My name is Athena, and you're here to listen to Vanished in the Valley. So today, we've got some updates on the Bakersfield 3 case from last year. We also have a mystery coming to us from Texas, and I'm going to break down some FDA fuckery to go along with this new situation on the kabobo jab. So sit back and get ready for this. Okay, so check this out. We're going to start with the update on the Bakersfield 3. So I told this story last year. You can go find it. It's a hell of a long episode. It's like an hour and 15 minutes, but it's because we're covering three people that are all involved and either being murdered or completely disappearing. So let me give you a little background. In 2018, in Bakersfield, California, James Colstead, who is 38 years old, Micah Holzenbake were both murdered within the same month. Now, Bailey Despot, she went missing in April of 2018. The last person to see her alive at the time was her boyfriend, Matthew McQueen. And I even have an update on that piece of shit. So get ready for this. We are about to blow open the Bakersfield 3 case. So a little background. I mean, little. I mean, this story took me days last time to put together. But just trying to summarize the Bakersfield 3 It's just a story of three friends that were either loosely connected or more intimately connected that, in one way or another, got involved in either drugs, manufacturing illegal weapons, and just got in completely over their heads. Now, a lot of people connected the three cases together, and from the start, I kind of felt that James was not connected to Micah and Bailey and Matthew McQueen. And with these recent developments, I think uh, it's kind of proving to be true. So check this out. All three of these people are friends. Within one month, they fucking get murdered, disappear. So James is at a party one night and he is killed in a drive-by shooting. And he dies at the scene in his brother's arms, leaving behind a daughter, Cameron, and his mother. Now, no one's ever been charged in this case, though the police do have people, persons of interest. But if you kind of look at what's going on with the case, there's not much involvement or movement for various reasons. It's a super complicated situation. Now, with Micah, he disappeared about a week before James was murdered. And later on, his arm ends up washing up in a river in Kern County. Now, through DNA tests, they were able to prove it was Micah's arm. Now, two days ago, his mother spoke to the media and said the sheriffs had let her know they had found Micah's skull in a river. Now, I'm assuming it's the same river that they found the arm in, But it was positively ID'd, and so his mother does have that, I guess, small consolation. But the craziest part of this case is Bailey Despot, the one that was missing, the girl that was missing, who was involved with Matthew fucking asshole McQueen, she's been charged with murder. The murder of Micah. And her boyfriend and one other scumbag were all charged with this murder. But like I said, a little background on March 28th, 2018, Michael Holzenbeck was reported missing and the authorities began looking into what had happened to the 34 year old. His mom said his friends were calling, trying to figure out what was going on. She said they had initially tried to file a missing persons report, but I guess the deputy or the officer they were trying to get the report to didn't want to take it. He was uh, one of those, oh, let's wait it out a few more days and see what happens type of bullshit. And we all know you can't wait in these type of cases. So a couple, not even a couple, like a week later, April 8th of 2018, James Colstead was shot and killed in the drive-by shooting I just described. And then less than one month after the murder of James and Bailey Despite. A 20 year old white female from Bakersfield disappears off the face of the earth, with the last person seeing her being Matthew McQueen. Shocking, I know. Now, this wasn't even a huge story. I'd actually never really even heard about the case, but James and Micah's mom got together and started a Facebook page. It's still up and active as of today. It's Bakersfield 3. It just actually kind of blew up the whole case and got the media's attention i know a tv station down that way started profiling james micah and bailey and trying to like connecting these pieces and trying to see where we could go there's even a dr phil episode and it's still it's hard to find i think i searched for it when i did the original episode on the bakersfield three but i mean you can find bits and parts if you want to go check it out Because like I said a little bit earlier, there's just so much more information on this case that I'm going to give you in this episode. And like I said, either go back and search Bakersfield 3, the original episode here. Go online. You can find something on YouTube. Actually, if you search a journalist's name, Olivia Lavoise, Bakersfield 3... I actually think she did the best job of covering the whole situation, and I got a lot of my information from the first episode from reports of Olivia LaVoice. Back in May of 2020, the district attorney for Kern County announced murder charges for Matthew Queen and Bailey Despot. They also announced they charged Matthew Avenda Castile with kidnapping and conspiracy. Related to the death of Micah Holzenbeck. So, yeah, it was kind of fucking shocking. I guess kind of not to the mothers, but everybody else involved. So check these out. This is from court documents. It says, Between March 20th and March 27, 2018, Queen and Despot use Evander Castile's garage to tie up Holzenbeck to get information out of him supposedly he had info on some kind of a stolen gun because Matthew and Bailey were putting together ghost guns. They were altering AR receivers. They were doing some felonious shit with guns and weapons that California, like the ATF, people will come after you if you do shit like that here. And they fucking did it and they got caught. So they're basically stating that uh, Despot went into Vanda Castile's apartment and got a knife brought it back to the garage where Micah was tied up and they're kind of alleging that uh, Matthew and Bailey tortured Micah. They wanted this information they figured hey let's torture him and in the process of this torture whether intentionally, unintentionally one of the two killed Micah. So they end up over the next few days, dismembering his body and getting rid of it in a river in Kern County. So check this part out. I'm getting this from a news story on KGET. Diane Byrne, who's the moms of James Colstead, and Jane Parent, who's the mom of Bailey Despot, are saying early on they joined forces because of the connection between all of the kids. And Matt McQueen posted on one of the Facebook accounts, and he wrote, What if one of the Bakersfield three killed one of the others? So for about two years now, we've thought it could be a possibility. What if it was James that killed Micah? Or what if it was Bailey? Well, we know as if that happened, they would have had to had a gun to their head, said Parent. So the boyfriend McQueen, he's been in custody since last summer when he fucking, like, led the cops on a high-speed chase and act like, total fucking baby and, like, you know, just had a total scene to get his ass arrested. He was getting arrested, actually, like, on kidnapping charges unrelated to the Bakersfield Three and all those weapon charges. He's a fucking asshole and he's obviously, he's where he needs to be, basically. Now, there is a huge reward in this case. Anyone with information regarding any of these three people is asked to contact Kern Secret Witness at 661-322-4040, Detective Garrett at 661-326-3504, and that's at the Bakersfield Police Department. So, Rando, change of subject here. Speaking of Garrett, (laughs) today is me and Garrett's, like, one-year anniversary it was uh, August 26th last year. It was like in the middle of the lockdown and our insane asses tried to have a first date with like lockdowns going on, people wearing masks, people being assholes everywhere. And yeah, it's been a year and I count myself super lucky to have found a red pill down as fuck motherfucker like my baby Garrett. And check this out, guys. Tonight, we're going to go back to the same spot we met at a year ago. So hopefully that'll be cool. I think it will. It's like this little spot on the water and it's super nice at sunset. I mean, I'm even going to put fucking makeup on for the occasion. Makeup and a bra. So I'm going all out tonight. <laughs> all right. But back to this story. I told you, super rando side note. But yes, now let's get into the mystery happening in Texas. And honestly, I don't even think it's a mystery. I think I already saw this case, but I'll tell you all about that in just one second. So let's go back. December 2nd, 2020. Christopher Ellen Whitley, who was 28 at the time, was hitchhiking to work near Lippin, Texas. And that is in super rural Hood County. Apparently the town has about 500 people in it. I mean, I looked it up uh, and it's like about, I don't know, about an hour, hour and a half southwest of Fort Worth. And... According to the Hood County Sheriff's Office, they're saying that morning, Christopher decided to take a shortcut because he was, you know, hitchhiking. And apparently he had to, like, walk through this dense brush in a quote-unquote forest area. Now, if you follow that shortcut long enough, you'll get to a little place called Howl Road, which is kind of like a country lane and I guess there's a little bit of traffic there and that's where he planned on hitchhiking a ride to work. I mean, geez, you guys, hitchhiking in 2021. I'm not even going to get started. So anyway, the next day, one of Chris's friends decided to file a missing persons report and that evening, Hoodie County Sheriff's deputies decided to search the woods between his girlfriend's house where he had left and Hal Road. Apparently, they get there, and the first thing they spot is a Whitley's backpack, and it's kind of described as, like, being underneath a cedar tree. Then they say about 15 feet away from that, they found Whitley's body. They also say it was in brush, like, brush that was so dense, they're saying it was, quote-unquote, a miracle that our deputies found him, and that was Lieutenant Johnny Rose. He was one of the ones on the scene, and he's the spokesperson for the sheriff's office. So before I go on in this story, a little background about Whitley. Like I said, he's 28 years old. He was five foot six and weighed 145 pounds. Now keep that information right there in mind. I uh, guess apparently Chris had spent a lot of his adult life in prison. Actually, most of it. He never got a driver's license, he did not learn to drive at all, but after he had gotten out of prison, he was getting his shit together, he had bought a car, he had a job, he actually had two jobs. He was working in the oil industry and on the side, it sounded kind of like a side hustle painting job like painting houses. So he was trying to make those scrills. he was trying to fucking be productive, and let me tell you what happens... So, Lippin, Texas, December 2nd, 2020. Now, it's fucking cold, okay, you guys? It's December in Texas. And around 9 a.m., he grabs his blue and white backpack and walks out the door of his girlfriend's house. And that's the last time anyone sees him. So, like I said, the next day, his friend calls and files a missing persons report. And like I said, the deputies go there. They find his backpack they find his body. They notify Hood County Justice of the Peace, Catherine Gwynn. Now, apparently Catherine Gwynn is not a medical examiner, but she has seen victims killed by guns, knives, and car crashes. But she said nothing like this. Whitley's throat, from under one ear to the other, was torn open. Small, thin scratches marked his torso, forehead, And one side of his face. He was shirtless. Even though the weather had been cold. Gwen goes on to say, We had no idea what exactly had happened after going over the scene. We couldn't make those calls at all. So Gwen decides to get a hold of Tarrant County Medical Examiner's Office for help. At that point, the Sheriff's Office was still treating the area around where Whitley was found. Kind of like a potential crime scene. But around lunchtime the following day, December 4th, Gwen received a phone call. And apparently there was some kind of a press release that Hood County Sheriff's Office had sent out stating that mountain lion attack leaves man dead. And the release stated that the Sheriff's Office, game wardens, and a trapper with the U.S. Department of Agriculture were all searching for the offending animal. And this part's in quotes, please do not interfere with the process of locating the animal and stay clear of the area being actively worked by officials. And that was a quote by Sheriff Roger Deeds. So apparently after that news release, the news media kind of just ran with it because that is their first ever recorded mountain lion kill in Texas. It's just, it's never happened. There have been mountain lion attacks in Texas, but, you know, since 90% of the <laughs> motherfuckers in Texas are armed, they came out the victor in those cases. But apparently, Gwen was saying that there had never even really been sightings of mountain lions in that area. She said coyotes, dogs, sure, maybe even an escaped kangaroo, but never a mountain lion. So check this out. In all of the United States history, there has only been 30 fatal mountain lion attacks. Like ever, you guys. Like fucking hundreds of years now. And never in Texas. And now suddenly they're saying this mountain lion fucking came there and ripped this guy's throat out. So... I'm about to tear apart the uh, whole theory of the sheriff's office with the help of TexasMonthly.com. They have an article that has hell of more information than what I'm actually even telling you guys right now. So if you want to dive deeper into this mystery, go check out that article. But like I was saying, there had never been a recorded sighting in Hood County, but there were confirmed sightings in neighboring counties, Somerville and Palo Pinto. The sheriff's office does say it had heard rumors of mountain lions in the area from different ranchers, but like I said, nothing confirmed in Hood County. So after Sheriff Deeds throws out to the media that he thinks it's a mountain lion attack that killed Christopher, He decides to enlist the help of Hood County Game Warden, Britton Stuckley. So Britton Stuckley goes to the scene the day after Whitley's body was actually found. In his site visit report, Stuckley writes that he found no evidence of a mountain lion attack. The usual telltale signs were all absent. There were no lion prints, feces, or quote-unquote territorial scrapes which are small mounds of debris that lions pile up and mark with urine at most kill sites. However, he did note the large presence of human tracks and quote-unquote disturbances from first responders at the scene. That afternoon, Stuckey, who had relied on specialists in putting his report together, advised the Sheriff's Office to reach out to Texas Parks and Wildlife Biologists for further expert assistance with the investigation. And Texas Monthly actually obtained emails, and that's how they're finding all this information out. Sheriff Reed actually does listen to this request, and he gets a hold of Texas Park's Wildlife Department, which is TPWD, that's how I'm going to say it in the future. He contacts Jonah Evans, and Evans is actually tasked with leading this kind of investigation into what type of animal may have attacked Whitley. So, as soon as he sees pictures from this whole ghastly scene, Evans, who is a mammologist for TPWD, says there's absolutely no way that that was a mountain lion attack. He's just like, there's not the signs that you would see. And he goes on to say... Some of the distinctive markers of a mountain lion attack, including clear marks from canine teeth and missing organs from the abdomen, were not evident. An expert in animal tracking who has seen hundreds of mountain lion kill sites, in-person and photos. Evans was tasked with leading this investigation, you guys, so he was especially intrigued by the lack of lion tracks in the sandy soil. I mean, come on, they're going to be fucking tracks somewhere. One- Just one, maybe, you would think. So according to the emails that Texas Monthly got, the next step was to go to the scene. And they're showing that Evans actually wrote that he was worried TPWD staff may contaminate a potential crime scene. But the agency ultimately decided to send two of its biologists to visit the site on Saturday, December 5th, two days after the body was found. They were joined by Mike Budenjunk, who is an experienced mountain lion trapper and director of Wildlife Services Texas, which is a division of the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Budenjunk started at a ground zero, basically the dense woods and foliage and thicket where sheriff's deputies recovered Whitley's body. And then he kind of worked his way out. The only animal tracks he found within 150 yards were those of coyotes, deer, hogs, house cats, and dog. So Bud and Chuck goes on to say, In two locations, I identified tracks of a mid-sized dog. He concluded that they were made by two to three days apart and likely indicated that a free roaming dog lived nearby. And that's kind of important, so remember all that. So as he wraps up his work at the site, it was clear to him, too, that a mountain lion did not attack Whitley. So there we've got, like, three experts saying there's no fucking way this is a mountain lion. Bodenschuck even went as far as walking into the Tarrant County medical examiner's office with a mountain lion skull. He basically just wanted to show them that, you know, check out these teeth, this is not fitting the wounds, and so forth. He also explained to the medical examiners that cats stalk their prey. They'll jump on a prey's back, digging its claws into the flesh while latching onto the neck and throat with its teeth. It then uses its strong jaws to crush the windpipe killing by asphyxiation. With the lion's small but powerful jaw, the bite marks are almost dainty. Typically two puncture marks on each side of the throat. There's not even a lot of blood. They crush rather than tear major arteries. So Whitley's throat in the pictures and everything that he had seen had been torn wide open and Whitley died of blood loss, not asphyxiation. The scratches on his body were also superficial there was none of the puncture mark wounds that would come with a lion latching its large curved claws into the flesh. There was absolutely no sign that any animal had actually fed on the body either. But in chunk went on to explain you would see signs of a struggle, you would see disturbed leaves, broken twigs, and distinctive tracks. Like I said earlier, there was absolutely no tracks. So what's going on? They're saying this scene was minimally disturbed. It didn't appear as if Whitley's body had been quote unquote cached. And that's a behavior where lions hide their kills so they can return later for multiple feedings. So basically all three experts are saying no way. This is not a mountain lion. There is no evidence that a lion even returned to feed. There's no bite marks. There's no feces. Nothing. Stuckley even went as far as to install game cameras around the site. Seen maybe, if this was a lion, if it would come back to the cache area to try to feed. He never caught any picture of a lion. He did get pictures of cows, deers, hogs, and a bobcat. So, I don't know, Boat and Chunk goes on to conclude that an animal may very well have killed Whitley, but it was not a lion. So, he wasn't able to even examine Whitley's trachea because the medical examiner had removed it from his body. The following month, on January 25th, Roe delivered her final autopsy to the sheriff's office. She ruled Whitley's death an accident and reported that meth had been found in his system and the cause of death was, quote unquote, injuries of the neck due to animal attack. So they took out all reference to mountain lions or any type of animal specifically, so they're just a general animal attack. The next day, Hood County Sheriff's Office wrote in a press release that it was closing the investigation into Whitley's death, saying it agreed with the medical examiner's conclusion. They're saying no signs of foul play were found anywhere near Whitley or, you know, nothing suspicious. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, well, what about DNA? Unfortunately, there was no request to collect DNA, so the Tarrant County medical examiners followed their standard procedure, which is washing the body shortly after the autopsy basically eliminating any DNA that was on the body. So Jonah Evans, you know, the one that was working with the Texas Park Wildlife Department, he said he was startled by the decision. He goes on to say, I was surprised that they would do this so quickly, given the cause of death was yet to be determined, he wrote in his report. Apparently, the sheriff's office did send Whitley's fingernail clippings to USDA laboratory in search of any traces of mountain lion DNA, and that test came back negative. They also tested two hairs removed from Whitley's clothes, which were determined to be from a dog. So in that dog, they're trying to say that dog is a dog that actually lived with him at the girlfriend's house. But at this point, the sheriff's office has closed the case. The medical examiner, you know, saying just some random animal attack and it's going down as Texas first fatal mountain lion attack. But, you know, I'm going with the experts and I'm even going to call that was a dog attack. I've seen pictures of dog attacks. Good old forensic files from like the 90s has an episode there where this like little ass girl, I think she's like 10 years old, she gets attacked by their family pets and ends up dying. Parents get charged with murder, all that shit. They actually get convicted and then the conviction gets overturned once they were able to prove that it was dogs. But... The scratch marks and the tearing out of the throat. It's just like, it just screams dog attack. And like I said at the beginning, he wasn't a huge guy. He was only five, six, and 145 pounds. If you have a large ass dog that's pure muscle, pissed off and wanting to fuck you up, I mean, it could be a rough fight. Those dogs are pure muscle, and those crushing power of a dog's jaw. If you just lost your balance and fell, and they happen to get lucky and get your throat. So yeah, thanks to old school forensic files, I am sure I have solved this case. I'm fucking shocked that they didn't kind of call that from the beginning. But I don't know, maybe they don't see a lot of dog attacks there. I don't think we're going to get to the bottom of this case, and his mom wants answers. She feels like her son was murdered. She doesn't think this was like an animal attack or anything like that. She thinks somebody was lying wait and ambushed him. So, there's a lot of people that still have questions in the case, but unfortunately, like I just said, it's closed. No more investigations. So, now to change subjects to FDA fuckery. So, you guys, just a couple days ago, the FDA has approved the other version of Pfizer's jab. So, but just check out this little bit. According to Chris Sky, who is the acting head of the FDA... Janet Woodcock, who approved this new name jab, was also the one who approved both OxyContin and Fentanyl, basically the drugs responsible for the opioid epidemic that has killed nearly one million Americans. So just let that sink in, you guys. They're also trying to get the WHO, World Health Organization, to ban a supplement called Kratom. Now Kratom is a quote-unquote cousin to the coffee tree and the FDA tried to get it outlawed out here in the whole entire United States and failed like little bitches. So now they go running to the World Health Organization who's trying to get a world ban on it so you can't you know import it different places. And it's just a fucking scam because they know Thousands of people have used Kratom to get off the prescription opioids. Now, Kratom does come with risks. It's not, you know, just fucking like going and taking some sugar. So the FDA is harping on those risks. But, I mean, if you look at the information out there, Kratom is way less fucking dangerous than Oxycontin, fucking Vicodin, fentanyl, all that bullshit that so many people are hooked on. And hopelessly think they have no way out. They probably don't even know about Kratom. If you have an opioid addiction, seriously look into Kratom. The FDA is definitely trying to go hard on it, but it is still available in a lot of states. Check it out. It could definitely help you come off those prescription poison ass drugs from Big Pharma. So, guys, that's about it. We are going to wrap up this episode because my ass is, A, running late. I got a hot date with my man tonight, so I need to go get ready for this, you guys. Wish me <laughs> wish me luck. And as I always tell you, be aware and don't forget your pepper spray. Ciao, ciao.